0: Beautiful. We're the only. Comic Book Dungeon Podcast. <laughs> Hello, fans and general well wishers of the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast. After being slightly delayed, episode 14 is up. Uh, I talked about this briefly on Twitter. I got 95% done editing the episode and audacity force closed corrupting my save file i started editing the episode again i got an hour and a half in, and this time my laptop force closed which made several blocks of data disappear so all in all episode 14 took about 12 hours to edit so Hope you uh, guys enjoy it. I also hope you enjoy at the end of this episode where I talk about hey, there's not going to be any late episodes again. And then this immediately happened because of this though, and the fact that we're slightly behind. I'm going to start releasing episodes weekly for a few episodes just to get back on track. I'm done delaying this so we can get back into the episode and enjoy. Okay. Cold Hello ev- <laughs> <laughs> Serious. Hello everybody. Welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon podcast. I am your host Mark. I am coming to you from my subtraining lair, the Comic Book Dungeon.
1: And I am your host Crews coming to you, adjacent to the comic book dungeon and the comic book kitchen, controlled by the mighty war beast Shadow.
0: Yes, if this is your first show, we are a comics-related podcast, which I hope you got from our name. Uh, unlike many comic book podcasts we're not talking about uh, what are on shelves now we mostly talk about older Marvel comics and not just any older Marvel comics stuff that you've probably never heard of the things that are weirder forgotten or esoteric so if that's what you're into you're in the right place if that's not what you're into you should still give us a try anyway
1: yeah and if you're looking for dungeon renovation tips you might want to try the DIY channel
0: do they? I, I don't think that's something that they would uh, they would typically handle.
1: You'd be surprised, man. You know, a little false rock and everything, a couple of sconces with some flames. You know, those torch sconces.
0: They do all that stuff. Oh, you you went to a different place with dungeon than my, my head went to. I was thinking oh. about like the people who like kidnap like an eight year old girl and then have like the secret basement in their backyard and oh, wow. that like their neighbors don't know about.
1: You know, I thought you were going for a different place than that. I was like maybe thinking like a fifty shades of gray style dungeon, but you took it to a home level, man.
0: I mean, we're not even fucking like, two minutes into this podcast, and we're already into a weird place.
1: You know what? That's that's what we do. So if you enjoy a weird ride, stick around. We've got more. Oh.
0: I think people do. We uploaded episode 12 early this morning, and we've gotten a lot of hits. We've gotten a lot of international hits. I've actually gotten some feedback from uh, some of the creators that we, we talked about on that episode. So I'm really excited. Really awesome. excited to hear back from people. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Awesome, that's great. I'm glad to see you're getting some traction, getting some good metrics in.
0: I'm excited talking about some good traction. Last weekend isn't when we normally record, but I was on assignment. I was in Chicago for C2E2. I have a load of books uh, that I want to talk about, some of the creators I, I talk to. and just want to generally talk about my experience there. It was a great con, and being there with my comic book dungeon t-shirt and trying to get the uh, word out was a really good experience. Did somebody just fall down the stairs in the comic book kitchen?
1: Uh, you no, know, uh, Mrs. Cruz is running rampant <laughs> with the mighty war beast shadow, and uh, apparently, okay, look, we've talked about my dog several times, yeah, did you and been and, and shush, and, and and my dog happens to, um, she's developed a really strong love for our sprinkler system, yes. And uh, it goes off, you know, my sprinklers go off in the afternoon and very late at night, and they must have just cycled through because my wife is chasing the dog through the house with the towel, trying to towel her dry. <laughs> I think
0: we've had this conversation before that I don't think your wife understands that when the uh, the red light is on outside the booth, that means the booth is in use.
1: Yeah, no, no. And given that she jacked my freaking uh, my setup and to talk to you for a couple of minutes earlier for the show, I would think she'd have a, a good comprehension that, you know, it, it picks up all the noise. But maybe she doesn't understand what the little bars and squiggly lines mean.
0: I think she absolutely does, oh, and that's why she does it. She, she,
1: yeah. She, I'm sorry. She's mouthing something about the dog, like, shaking all the water off on top of our bed. Nothing like a wet dog freaking trying itself off on top of your fucking king size bed. Uh, That's a big bed. Yeah, and it's a little dog. <laughs> but she makes a big mess.
0: Yeah, dogs
1: are very good at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've uh, yeah, you got a new one, so you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they don't necessarily have to be a big dog to make a big mess. A little dog has enough energy to make a dog a mess of, like like a big dog but anyhow
0: we're more real than other podcasts you get this slice of life going on i'm very (laughs) excited about this episode this episode is going to be a little bit different than what people are used to and this is because as we get into our uh our Comic today, we'll see it's a little bit different than our typical issue of Amazing Adventures, and this is going to allow us to be kind of flexible tonight and have just a more of a, a laid-back show. Which, after how exciting episode twelve was, I think uh, I think people are going to need a break.
1: Yes, yes. Apparently, episode twelve was just a height of synergistic excitement, and uh, this is uh, this is uh, this is after the climax. There, this is a uh, this is the warm afterglow. Yep. Episode
0: 13 will be up soon, so after 12 and 13, this episode will be a palate cleanser, but it will allow people to just to take a breath.
1: All right. Yeah, nothing like a good palate cleanser.
0: We normally talk about current events, talk about what's going on early in the show. I would think of because, I'm thinking because this issue was a, a little bit different, instead of front-loading with that stuff, we should maybe go with the, just jump into the comic and then, uh... When we're done with that, go into our normal routine of what's going on. Uh, what's what are we excited about? Kind of flip things this week. Okay. And yeah. This this will all make sense, readers. Don't don't freak out. You'll see the method to our madness.
1: Uh, a little a little a little format
0: flip over here. If you will. Change is good. Keeps it it's keeping us on our toes. It's keeping you on your toes. You'll enjoy this.
1: Okay. So we want to start with the cover.
0: Yes, I I have to say I do like this cover, but we, we talked about this a little bit, I think, in uh, a- episode 13, where when I saw this come up as the next issue and I saw Mitt Julep on the cover, I was super excited. And it is a bit of a tease.
1: It, it is, and I, I gotta say, yeah, I do really like this cover as well. Uh, seeing Mitt Julep come back was uh, was awesome and it definitely uh, led to some high hopes for what this would entail however it was a bit of a tease i mean it's a great cover though don't get me wrong at all it, it it's yeah you know, we had discussed this a while back i, I think it was with the controversial uh, episode 11 cover where uh for one cover they had him posed in a way that was just uh, you said it was very reminiscent of 90s style comics and i thought it was just it was just something that was super super posed didn't look any, at all natural and we both agreed that it had it, it was lacking in conveying parts of what the story was that you would find in the issue. I mean, this cover it doesn't do that. It's it's it it, it t- kind of tells you what's going on with this. a bit of a story, and it's got some natural looking action, and uh, it, it's got you know three of our favorite characters on it, You know, Kilraven, and Shula and Shula doing her
0: thing. If I was going to put up say a poster. To celebrate my love of the Amazing Adventures Warrior of the World, the Kill Raven Run. This is what I'd want it to be, this cover. But uh I think we've actually gotten a little bit of I, I think I jumped the gun mentioning my disappointment with Mid Julep. I just want to kind of cover our basics here. This is Amazing Adventures issue thirty. This is the May nineteen seventy five issue of Amazing Adventures with a cover price of twenty five cents. Yes. Like you said, we've got Bashula, we got Killraven, we got Mint Julep front and center on the cover. They are being, and then in the background we have three tripods, and one of them is shooting at uh, at our heroes. And we see Mint Julep kind of, not really dodging out of the way, but yeah, she's kind of like throwing herself out of the way.
1: Yeah, she, she's bobbing and weaving, juking and jiving, as
0: they say. Yes, you know,
1: doing the sagger drills, as they say.
0: We have a caption here. Across the face of the future, his name is carved in the letters of blood. Killraven, the galactic outlaw, wanted dead or alive. Preferably dead. <laughs>
1: Preferably, yes. But they don't get their way, do they?
0: No. This would be kind of a downer if they did.
1: All right, and uh, I, I, they're, they're keeping on with the, uh, the change in the... Uh, the cover that they implemented in the last few issues, which is, you know, instead of uh, War of the Worlds and taking up most of the real estate for the banner, it gives you kill rate.
0: Yeah, I did appreciate that we did we had a transparent banner this time. It wasn't a colored background of it, because that just, for me, it really ruins the cover. And yep, I think this is the second issue we've had, the Warrior of the Worlds. Yeah, uh,
1: I believe this is the second one. Moving on, shall we?
0: Yes. Credits. We shall. Okay, this one's a a little bit different how it's uh, how it's laid out. They've divided the credits out in two different caption boxes. But hey, that's okay. Don McGregor's the writer. Craig Russell, Dan Atkins, Heard Trippy, Frank uh, Chiramante, and Jack Abel are the artists. Joe Rosen the letterer, D. Warfield the colorist, and Len Ween is the editor.
1: Mm. A lot of artists this issue.
0: Yes, and uh, the reason for that, I think we should just let the cat out of the bag here. (laughs) This very clearly was they ran out of time, they missed the deadline for the actual issue, 30. So what we get here is there's a few new pages in the beginning and a couple new ones at the end, but the bulk of this issue it reprints information from two previous issues.
1: Right. It, it, it's done as a recap, and, and I guess we'll get into why they're recapping these events as we progress through the new pages in the beginning.
0: And it's it's not necessarily unusual for you to see this with older comics where they would spend like an issue or part of an issue just really recapping stuff from older issues. Today, if you want to catch up on a series... You know you go buy a graphic novel or you go buy the collection on Comixology. back in the seventies, especially this was a series that came out every other month. so you know if you're catching you know ten issues into a series like that, there's now years that separate you from from that beginning issue. So say if you didn't catch Kill Raven until a couple issues back, you might not have the access to those original issues. So you might see a series summarize, or just again, spend that time summarizing, because of how difficult back issues could be. So it's something that, for us looking back, is kind of annoying, but this was actually pretty beneficial at the time.
1: Right, yeah. Exactly. I mean, if it kept a a broader stroke on the review, I think I would have been less critical of it, but since it kind of narrowed it down to only two episodes, I am a little more critical about why they're going back on some of this stuff and, and recovering this uh, the same territory. But...
0: I'm assuming it was just easier for the editorial team to put together two recent issues and just to pull... Instead of having to pull from ten issues, it's easier to pull from two. Yeah. But I... This absolutely has to be because they missed a deadline. Yeah. And normally, when they missed a deadline, there would be a a story that they would have in a can that they could pull out. So you would sometimes, if you see like a filler story like in a a series like this, or like oh, this there's not a lot of background characters, there's not a lot of stuff to date this like in the care in the series is timeline. That's because it was a filler story created as a uh, stopgap. But if you guys remember, this was supposed to be the day that the monument shattered that's how last the last issue ended mm-hmm. but actually if you remember the issue before that was also supposed to be the day that the monument shattered so this is the the second time they pushed off the day the monument shattered and you see at the end of this issue it's the third time they're promising us that so i definitely think they just missed the deadline
1: yeah there, there's there's no monuments
0: getting shattered here <laughs> actually there is
1: okay yeah there's one
0: that yes, <laughs> get shattered
1: Um so I guess they did follow through a little bit on what they had promised, but yeah, they they have been promising that for a while, and uh, yet to deliver. So um, let's let's talk about this uh, this first page.
0: This very much seemed like a clip show to me. You get a, a couple new wraparound segments, but then it's characters remembering things, and that's exactly the format of this uh, this series right. or this uh, issue, right?
1: and and the device they used to justify that was was you know for for having done it such short notice, i think it was pretty smart and done
0: i think that camilla frost really uh got the short end of things with the cover and the and this 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 issue
1: mhm yeah
0: cuz i mean she, she has been a main character almost as long as kill raven and Meshula. she's had way more appearances in the book than uh meant Julep. Especially from the Martian perspective, you think that she would be a, a big player, something that they'd be concerned about, because being a collaborator she had much more information to use against them. So it, I was wondering why we didn't get more of her in this, with the recap. The only reason that I could come up with there's a big mystery with her, with her uh, with who Grok is, and I don't think that they would have it would have been a believable flashback of like them providing background information on her, but still keeping that a secret.
1: Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, well, yeah, they definitely gave us some new information
0: about Julik that I was not aware of,
1: which is nice.
0: Yeah I, yeah, I was super excited about that.
1: And a couple of things about Meshua
0: that I was not aware of either. Yeah, they so that was the We'll we'll get into that, some of the new information they gave. That that made the issue worth it. That that I think that was a nice bone for them to throw the uh the readers when they're expecting you to pay full price for an issue that's mostly a uh reprint. Agreed. So uh the title here is The Rebels of January and Beyond, and we learn that this issue it's uh, takes place in uh, Washington D C in April
1: twenty nineteen. Yep. April twenty nineteen. So huh. So when was the New Year's issue?
0: The New Year's issue was the last issue where they were in Washington, D.C. It's where they're hanging out, like they're taking cover from like the rats. Uh, okay.
1: Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so that was New Year's. So this is four months after those events.
0: Got it. We open up, we see the High Overlord walking down a a deserted street in the remains of Washington, D.C. Do you see anything wrong uh, with that page?
1: Walking down the remains of the streets of Washington, D.C., he looks almost normal height.
0: Yes, he has... In my mind, I think of this as, like, Transformer Syndrome. If you ever watch, like, the original Transformers, like, G1 1980 series, you'll see that the animators, a lot of the time, will forget, if there's not a human the Transformers are interacting with... They forget, or if there's not something that easily scales them, you'll see, like, the transformers are constantly changing scale. Like, one who's supposed to be taller than another, they'll be the same size. Or, if they're standing in front of, like, a human building, like, oh, I was too big to get into the door five minutes ago, but now that's drawn to scale. Like, the animators were constantly forgetting that, and that's mm-hmm. what that reminded me of. We see the high overlord, and to me, he absolutely looks like he's at the human scale, which before, I think he was—he looked like he was about 20 feet tall.
1: Yeah, well, uh, where well, am I won't say he was, tw- he was 20 feet tall? He looked like he was mm, maybe about, you know, 14 feet tall. He looked at least double the height of a normal human.
0: Yes. And now it's because we see he's on a street. There's a street light and a fence there, and it definitely looks like a trash can. He looks like he's drawn to human proportions.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's lots of uh, wanted posters for Kill and plastered
0: over everything. The High Overlord also looks like he's gotten a bit of a redesign.
1: Yeah, he definitely looks like uh, he's got some inspiration from Kiss.
0: Yes! <laughs> <laughs> well played. Yeah, he's got a lot of spikes coming out of him now, out of his legs and arms. So,
1: Yeah, well, I, I believe we, we, there over several times we've said that uh, some of the things that uh, our heroes and their villains are doing are, are 100% metal. Yes. Um, strangle my dog.
0: Oh, we're going to get a letter about that.
1: <laughs> Figure of speech. I want that dog to just strangler. Uh, but now is not a good time for her to play with squeaky toys. Um, anyways, uh, but but we we've, we've commented that our characters are doing some pretty metal things, and this here is definitely a reflection of of that metalness of the era just coming into the comics more and more. Because this is a metal looking outfit. They definitely added like some barbs and some freaking like hooks and, and all sorts. I mean, it looks like a fucking g Simmons outfit. I don't, I don't know what else to
0: say. Yeah, I'm curious to see when we get back into the story in an issue or two from here, if he's still going to have those, or if this was something that they just put out so quickly they weren't really referencing what he looked like in the past, uh, too closely, the past issues.
1: Right, yeah. And, and there's something that happens on,
0: on there that uh,
1: there's a shot that looks really cool. Yeah, uh, I think in the next panel or two, oh, we'll go. We'll go over that. It looks pretty. It looks pretty, pretty badass and pretty, uh, pretty metal, as they say.
0: I, I like that you're saying things look metal here because there's something that happens on the last page that I, I, I wrote in my notes. That's totally metal. So I like <laughs> that we both came to these conclusions independently. Um. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: There, there was no collaboration on on the use of adjectives before the show.
0: I, I gotta say, for a, an issue that only had four new pages of content, I really like like what they gave us, and some of it it's, not. I'm not gonna say I like it because it's necessarily well written or well thought out, but I've laughed out loud a number of times
1: yeah, yeah yeah, so <laughs> so yeah, so this is uh, I, I'm done with this page, how about
0: you yeah yeah, I'm on to page two. We learn the High Overlord. He, he tells us that the ruins of D.C., of Washington, D.C., remind him of Mars, and that he can feel the texture of the red Martian dust code his liquid form. What the what the hell does that mean? Because... I, I, I
1: don't know. You know, I mean, I think earlier on I had positive. How does, how does the High Overlord, if he is a Martian, fit in his costume? Yes. Yeah, in his, in his biomech armor. And, uh... You know, maybe it, it's not so much that uh, he has to fit in it. Maybe the Martians are really just kind of gelatinous, and they can they can take whatever form they need to.
0: I'm wondering if there's more than one Martian species because we learned that there's a hierarchy, and he's at the top of that hierarchy. And some of the dialogue here makes me wonder if he's not unique. That maybe there's like a like a class system, like a caste system. And he's at that top, like noble part of the cast. And there's other, like the liquid Martians are at the top, and the melty potato Martians, like the rank are like the rank and file Martians, where they're not as uh, well regarded. They don't have as much power.
1: Yep, yeah, potentially, potentially.
0: So, bottom line is, apparently, that's how he fits in it. They just poured yeah. him on in there because he is a in a natural state. He's in a liquid form.
1: Yep, he's like Jello.
0: Did not see that coming
1: no no so yeah and uh, well, he he's apparently turning away from these memories and moving on to something else
0: we get a funny bit of dialogue here cuz we learn that the Martian elites they uh, they look at memories or the way that they interact with the past is different than us that and the fact that the past can coexist and be recalled in perfect detail and they just it's very odd how they say it like how it's it's phrased it's the the High Overlord turns away from his memories, they are only memories in the content of Earth time evaluation, to the Overlord, one of the Martian elite, resplendent in his bio, uh, Chem-Mac armor. Any moment of the past can coexist with the, with the present... To be called and recalled in total detail. Yes, we have a word for that. It's called a memory, and that's what you're doing. You're recalling it. So it seemed very weird for me that they're like, "This isn't a memory, as you uh, would call it. It's a memory. It's something that's remembered, and he can recall later with great care clarity. So it's not memory. It's good memory. And I'm glad we took three captions to define the difference.
1: Yeah. Um. And, and okay. So this is a uh, page two. And while they're going through this explanation, you know, it was kind of ho hum for me. But I really did like panel four on uh, page two. Yes, where he's walking through this doorway and his armor, kind of, you know, his chest piece almost
0: looks like a giant
1: skull. Did you ever see? Did you see that? Or take note of that?
0: I'm I'm laughing because what I kept thinking this entire issue is his chest. There's two red dots on it that have lines coming out, and it just looks like his <laughs> nipples are bleeding. Yes. That is what I thought the entire issue. I mean, and it's just, it's not me trying to to, to, to be funny. The entire issue, every time they show like a, like kind of a far out shot of him, like that fourth one, yes, I agree, that looks like a skull, but then every, because it's, it's heavily shadowed, every yeah, other panel, it looks like, yeah, his nipples are bleeding.
1: Yeah yeah, 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 I will. <laughs> I thought the same thing. Yeah, it, it looks like he freshly got his nipples pierced and hadn't bothered to clean up, okay?
0: I love that fifth panel. Once he's... Well, he's outside in the ruins of Washington, D.C., but he heads to the White House, which is the Martian seat of power. And we had speculated on this before because it looked like the doorway of the White House was now built to his scale. We see now that he's in the White House... It looks super psychedelic and, and and crazy.
1: It looks like an M.C.S. shirt freaking
0: drawing. Yeah, it. I I I absolutely agree. It's it's very the fact that they put that much detail into something that is basically like a filler issue. I thought was super cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, and. and... I, I I will definitely agree again. They may not have added much new stuff, but what they did add, they they
0: definitely put some effort into. So
1: yeah, he's he's walking down these MC hallways. And um...
0: the the next panel, I wanted to just to call out. We have made fun of that after the first few issues, it, especially if there were several Martians present. It felt like they weren't putting as much detail in, and a lot of the the recent Martian appearances they look kind of comical. Mm-hmm. I thought they did a good job with that, at least with that mate like the the Martian in the foreground that he's talking
1: oh, to. What did we call it? A Fever of Martians?
0: Yes, a Fever of <laughs> Martians. That's a good callback.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so he's he's going up to this uh, Fever of Martians, and the one in the foreground is the lead guy, lead Martian. It, it's... And this is what tripped me out. Yeah. Okay, so high Overlord, he's you know unique in his position. Blah blah blah. You know, because he's a unique guy, whatever. But he's Basically it sounds like he's being called to the carpet by the regular rank and file Martians.
0: How what I took this as where he's like the high overlord, it's like he's the one in charge of their occupation. You could almost say like he's the president, and now it's like he has to be he's being called before Congress to account for some recent events. Like they're at they they're they're investigating what happened, what's going on. What I, I really like about that panel is the Martians, they're not just sitting on the ground they're on these hover platforms, and again, I just thought that was a cool touch because it shows how they get around in our Earth's gravity. Because we talked about before their difficulty on Earth because it's such an alien environment to them, and just right. to see, and you see each of the hover disks is at a different level. Again, I yeah. just thought that was kind of neat. Good attention to detail.
1: Yeah. So uh, basically, he's calling them to the carpet, saying, "Hey, you know this this is this is like a, a congressional hearing." And they wish to go over the events four months previous, which would led us to about New Year's of 2019 when Killraven and company were in Washington. And they escaped uh, High Overlords, or Hose Grasp, as it's called.
0: Them. I'm glad that you just said that because I didn't notice that, this issue. Because they just keep – like they said, we want to know about the fiasco last January. I forget the last issue they were in D.C. was the New Year's Eve, New Year's Day one. So a lot of the flashback that we get, this issue, actually happened in December, not January. Ah. Uh, Good call.
1: Yes. So, that that basically sums it up where he, he, he goes over to uh, review and... Uh, he he starts this review by uh, handing over some records concerning three of the primaries that were involved in this incident, if you were, which would be Kill Raven, uh, Mashula and Mint Julep, and they have their nice. Uh, Martian records, which was nice for us as fans. It kind of gives us a little background information about all of these characters.
0: What I thought was super cool, and I just, I mean, we have time because we're almost through all the new content now, was just to read off, basically, they, they give you years, like they give you dates and important things that happened, but I just wanted to really call out each File card has like the character's name at the bottom, but each one is rendered in a different way. And Kill Ravens is super cool.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of metal.
0: <laughs> yes. So it's a raven. It's like the head and the wings of a raven, but instead of the raven's body, you get this really cool stylized text that says Kill Raven. So, I mean, I, just the attention to, to detail for, again, something that was a filler issue, I thought was super cool.
1: I think it's pretty cool. However, I think the artist, the art team was uh, this. Is, this had to have been a new illustrator because Raven looks like he dropped about
0: thirty pounds. Yeah, the his face looks weird, and Meshula's face looks it, not just. I don't mean weird as in like they look freakish or whatnot. They just it looks like if you were casting a movie. For like, oh, we're casting a new Killraven. Oh, this guy doesn't look anything like him. Or, same thing with Mashula. They both look very different than they have in past. Oh
1: issues. my god. Oh jeez, what's that guy's name? Steve it looks like some- No, it looks like someone cast uh, Matthew McConaughey as Killraven.
0: Yeah, I could see that.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know who I could call out for Mashula. Freaking, uh... I've wrapped Richard- my... Yeah, I've wrapped my...
0: I, if anything to me, his face, it looks very, it's like they, it, it, like a lot of the ethnic features have been downplayed.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they definitely the nose isn't wide enough, the lips
0: aren't full enough. Uh,
1: they, it, it has been definitely downplayed from what we've seen him drawn previously.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mint Julep looks pretty spot on to me.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I gotta say, they gave her a, an
0: awesome pose on her her card. Hers is by, mar- by far my favorite.
1: Right, yeah. So the Killraven card, it it kind of summons up uh what we already knew because we had a we had at least one issue that went a little in depth into Killraven's past. Uh, this provides a little more information about his time in the, the gladiatorial arena. And that's really about it. Your Shula's.
0: Do you want to just take turns like I'll like I'll read the 2006. I mean, this will go pretty quick. The, like, we, I'll read 2006, you want to read 2008, and we'll just yeah, go through sure. the data. Because, again, sure. I, we only have a few more pages that we're covering. Go uh, for it. 2006, Kill Raven, approximately six Earth years of age, captioned by human recruiting force under the leadership of Dr. Raker, professional exterminator Saunders, accompanying. Mother, Maureen Raven, executed at site of their capture. Father, unknown factor, presumably killed during the first five years of second wave assault by Martian forces. Brother, Josh, Joshua Raven, subject Kill Raven believes brother slain at the time of his mother's capture and his mother's death. Brother actually trained is understudy to Exterminator Saunders. Yellowstone mercenary sector locale. See chronology record. Joshua Raven. Exterminator Exterminator nomenclature. Death Raven. So, Kill Raven's name is Kill Raven, and his brother's fucking name is Death Raven. That is the most metal thing I have ever heard in my life.
1: (laughs) They're a metal family, man. Yes. And I I cannot wait to see them uh, get together. Because it, it sounds like his brother's been fully indoctrinated, so this could end badly.
0: This is going to be badass.
1: All right. There's uh, going to be take...
0: dueling guitars, I'm sure, whenever they get together and they fight. Exactly.
1: I'll take the next two since uh, yours is a longer one. So, uh, 2008, Killraven Raving shows rebellious tendencies. Harsh disciplinary measures applied to little effect. He's a stubborn son of a bitch. Subject exhibits first leadership abilities and gladiatorial pens. Attempt at escape terminated, placed under Keeper Whitman for rehabilitation and observation. You can see Keeper Whitman's tutelage in another record, apparently. 2010. First meeting with Earth subject Mashula in the gladi- gladiatorial pens. It-, it gives you a reference to gladiatorial profiles, June 15, 2010.
0: I like that they kept referencing other files. I mean, we know these don't exist, but that was a. I thought it was just a cool touch to make it seem realistic. Yeah, yeah. 2015, Subject Killraven reappears in Terran Sector Nomenclature Queens. Evidence suggests, or evidence indicates, Subject spent much of prior Terran year in vicinity. Reference mind scope tapes.
1: So I would assume this would be that year he
0: spent, uh, you
1: know, skulking around libraries and learning about Earth oh. history.
0: And eating cats and dogs, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. So, uh, 2016 migrated to Staten Island. Formed first group
0: of freemen.
1: re contact with four mentioned gladiatorial alumni. Yeshua. What?
0: Well, Actually, that's, that's a I didn't put that together before. It said formed first group of freemen. If you go back to issue 18. He didn't form like a he he met some free men before he uh he eventually like found his group with that he started to lead. So there were free men before he uh he founded his group of free men.
1: Well, I mean, you know, notice they said free men with a
0: capital F.
1: I, I think that just is more of a pronoun for this particular group.
0: That's what I wanted to take it as, but there there hasn't been a second group of free men.
1: Well, maybe maybe, maybe they haven't. Given a franchise license out to
0: everybody. It's like you don't call your first wife your, your first wife. You only refer to your first wife as your first wife after you're divorced and you're married again.
1: <laughs> but I,
0: I I think I'm kind of in the weeds here. Mm. Um, so, oh, we, go ahead.
1: Move, moving on, we go to uh, Masula, which I, this is the first time we've gotten a last name for him. Yes. And gotten his gladiatorial name.
0: Which is awesome.
1: Which is awesome and it's metal as fuck. However, there's something telling in his uh, bio about how he reacts to that. Not reacts, but how he treats his gladiatorial name that I found interesting.
0: We get 1997, Genesis of Organism in Accordance with Earth Chronology uh, Concepts.
1: Yeah, uh, let's see. 1998, his father was Dorian Scott, a supervisor and investor in a multi-million dollar Terran Bartering Papers project named the Harlem Tri-Rail Express. Uh, he faced social disaster, uh, referring to uh, Earth financial requirements when newer Construction superseded said express. And it gives you a reference the uh, Trans Belt conveyor apparatus, routes, and usages before Martian demobilization. So I'm guessing his, his dad was uh, some sort of a, a higher-up in a rail system company. And they got displaced by the uh, invention and the rise to prominence of the Trans Belt conveyor system.
0: Again, it's a really cool just background. And we got a little bit of information on that uh, and a, lot, like a couple issues about how transportation has been uh, before the Martians came. There was a big uh, economic disaster involving transportation and how that affected people with new modes being invented. So I thought that was kind of cool. It's not, It could tie into those other things. Right. Um, 1999... Father separated from family due to inability to contribute worthwhile functions to human society. Sent to rehabilitation motivation center, a Martian version of said institution, re- refined and operating efficiently in Terran sector, Hawaiian Islands. That this one kind of pissed me off a little bit. The that he had an absentee dad. Right. I mean, that is that is such a a stereotype for the African American community, and that is just. For them to, to, you're trying to make this. You can tell they're they're trying with Meshula, but they end up falling back onto all these stereotypes. And it just it's it's disheartening where you can tell the 1970s Marvel staff is trying to be forward thinking and trying to celebrate diversity, but then they keep falling back into those tired tropes.
1: Right? Yeah. I, I also, I'm thinking on thinking on it with the uh, the whole Mud Brother. Uh, association between Killraven and Ashura. It, it, it calls back to the point that you made several times: is like at what point are their backgrounds so different?
0: Yeah, I'm glad that they we finally see now why Mud, Mud Brother might be appropriate because yeah, his background is very different before they hit the gladiatorial arenas from from Killraven's.
1: Well, it didn't even cover Killraven's background
0: really. Well, we got to see his background a little bit in uh, Amazing Adventures eighteen.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you know, his dad was probably, well, yeah, okay, so his upbringing, he had a dad that was probably killed in the the invasion, and Mishula's dad was an absentee dad because, you know, he lost his position with the rail company and got sent to a rehabilitation camp. So, yeah, I could see that one difference in that.
0: What I kind of took this as is before his dad lost his shirt, I mean, his dad was a multi-million dollar investor. Mashula was very well off. Kill Raven's family didn't seem to come from any means whatsoever when we saw briefly his mom, like for the few pages she was in for Amazing Adventures 18. So, I think we're being, a, I think maybe I'm being a little bit generous with that, but I could see how you could kind of take that as a difference there. But I mean, again, mm-hmm. I don't think Meshula really remembers that. So okay. I think there. for their formative years, they were both kids who were being trained in the gladiatorial pits by the Martians. So in my mind, they're very similar. Their backgrounds are very similar. They were right. both missing a dad. They were both uh, taken to the pits. So again, I just I don't feel that I feel they tried to address it, but Mud Brothers not appropriate.
1: Right. So okay, so two thousand two, Mother Hortense Scott organized for a civilian resistance movement against Martian invasion force. Movement titled Fighters for Human Dignity. Son Mashula is now five years old.
0: Two thousand five, Fighters for Human Dignity routed and Mashula brought to gladiatorial pens. Despite background and subsequent training with crossbow, extremely proficient, see gladiatorial profiles, subdivision shattered plexiglass, June first, twenty eleven, subject Mashula retained unbreakable example of Terran humor.
1: Okay, so looking back and cross-referencing the two it looks like Mashula is let's see Killraven is 6 years old in 2006 Meshula is 5 years old in 2002 so that's four is 4 years older than Killraven Yeah, figure that one out sorry i can't math not right now
0: <laughs> so yeah uh, i believe well no i it says he was born in 1997 yeah, Killraven was born in 2000, so, yeah, Meshul is three years older.
1: Yeah, okay. So, okay, yeah, his, his sense of humor, which
0: Mashula's definitely shown. He's got a,
1: a sharp tongue and, a, and tries to find a little humor in everything he does.
0: You would have to have a sense of humor to to hang out with Killraven.
1: You would have to have a sense of humor to wear a freaking shirt with those funky collar, those shoulder strips, okay? <sighs>
0: This has to get so annoying after a while.
1: You like, know, I, like, I can imagine, like, when the weather is calm, it's not bad. But once the wind kicks up and that thing keeps flicking you in your ear, it would drive me absolutely crazy.
0: I imagine they have some sort of piping in there to keep them stationary, but who knows?
1: Who knows? But hey, it's the future. So, um, 2010. 2010 is the first meeting with Earth Subject Killraven and gladiatorial Pens. Uh, reference gladiatorial profiles, June 15, 2010. So this is the second time we have gotten that same reference?
0: Yes. 2015, sabotage of project and subsequent escape, rejected gladiatorial title upon escape, return to Terran nomenclature, reference psychology of Terran identity obsessions.
1: Okay, so here's something that gets me more and more. When you look at the timeline... 2015 is when Meshula escapes, and 2000, uh, 2015 is when Meshula escapes. And that's also when Killraven escapes. So at this juncture, Killraven is only 15 years old when he escapes. Yes. Yeah, Killraven... Oh, go we're, ahead. We're at 2019 now, so he's only 19 years old.
0: Yeah, that's definitely not how he's drawn... He's, no, they they they're they're all drawn to appear much older, which yeah. that's the thing that really I took from these cards when we get to up. That's what really surprised me.
1: Right. So, Meshula, um, in the last text insert there for for his card, it shows that he completely rejects his gladiatorial title and uh, doesn't associate any himself in any way, shape, or
0: form with the, uh, the name Blood
1: Arrow. Which it's a bitching superhero name. But uh Mashula has nothing to do with that part of his life.
0: Yeah, I totally
1: respect that. Yeah, I, I can I totally get that. It kinda gives you a little bit of insight into Mashula as a, a person and a character that you didn't see before. Agreed. So, moving on to Mit Julep, which uh I'll I'll do the title. title and I guess you can do the first entry. Okay. That? Her title's interesting as all hell. Yes. Uh her title is uh, Laboratory Project uh, 6-LXMQWS from Subdivision Human Hybrid Variations and Mutations. Project Nomenclature at Genesis of Organism is Major Human Transparence Year. So I guess uh, annual, whatever. I have no idea what human transference is supposed to mean.
0: Nope, me, nor nor do I. All
1: right. Hey, anyway, so moving on to the entries. So,
0: 2003, during initial years of Martian occupation of Terran soil experimentation conducted to uh, analyze the variety of subspecies which might be derived from basic human organism. Project 6 LXM QWS commenced artificial insemination of preserved female ovum. Gynecologist Quarters uh, presiding. Now known as the Sacrificer and operating at Martian Resort area designated as Death birth, birth and presided over by Adalon the Fear Master. So great way to tie that in.
1: Oh, did I just, that. I did not tie those together. Yeah. Because he was a gynecologist and his name was Quarters. Yeah. And he changed his name to the Sacrificer. Huh. Interesting.
0: Yeah, cool way to to tie in who the Sacrificer is and to tie this into the other issues. Yep. Embryo injected at two-month stage with chemical components of one-celled organism or scientists designate as... Yulina? (laughs) No idea. (laughs) (laughs) Has characteristics of both plant and animal... Chlorophyll extracts mild reference dosages and data pertaining to development of embryo 6LXM, QWS, also introduced into embryo. Oh, this is a long one. Bioluminescence theories tested on a fetus at six months. Results inconclusive. Subject nurtured in sterile laboratory conditions. Developed a light shade of green flesh after introduction of outside agents. So so what I took from this is they didn't pin it down, but... There's the possibility that Mint Julep has bioluminescence. That's cool. I wonder if she mm-hmm. can, like, turn that on or off.
1: Yeah, she can glow in the dark, apparently. Uh, I, I just wonder if she's, like, slightly solar powered or
0: what. So, she was born in 2003, so she's only 16.
1: Mm, yeah, she is only 16.
0: And, uh, yeah, there's the 2015 here.
1: Right. So, um, yeah, and I'll, I'll do the little. Actually, the bottom bottom text isn't even relevant.
0: I agree.
1: Okay, so 2015, uh, escape from Washington D.C. operational sector formed the rebellious group known as the Free Women has disappeared from Washington locale since Lincoln Memorial disaster of January this year. I like how they refer to it as a disaster.
0: This is my favorite card by far. Yeah. Okay. Sixteen.
1: Sixteen. You said. <laughs>
0: and she definitely does not draw on like she's sixteen. Like, uh, every character I would have pegged to be at the youngest, maybe their mid to late 20s.
1: Yeah, you know what, yeah. And she does not look like a 1974, 16, whatever. Nope. Or 75, 16-year-old. Not at all.
0: So... This is pretty much it until the end of the issue for for new content. The next eleven pages are reprints from Amazing Adventures twenty three and twenty four. Basically, it rehashes. Kill Raven is captured in Washington D.C. They're uh, they're going to broadcast his execution on the uh, the stereo. Now oh, I'm having a brain fart. The the, the, the mural
1: phonic yeah
0: mural phonic mur- system. There you go. So Killraven, he's gonna be eaten to death by rats, he's able to escape. Mashula. he's the rest of the free men are with Mint Julep. She gives them the they grab the Dynagliders, they're on their way to rescue Killraven. He Killraven's able to get free. He we see Ratek. He threatens Ratak. He's it looks like Nightcrawler murdering all these rats.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he he wrecks the rats, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, we go to the Washington Monument. Not the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial. We see yep. a praxis I mean, this is all things we've seen before. Death I mean, this is a I went back to the issues. I mean, this is just for a couple of these pages, these are absolutely just reprints. The Lincoln Memorial's destroyed as Killraven escapes, and that's I mean, is there anything I missed?
1: No, no, no. no. Although it does see the return of another one of our favorite characters, Saber.
0: Yeah, Lando. Yeah, 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 Lando. Yeah, Saber turns on the Martians, the Washington Monuments, or the I keep doing that, the Lincoln Memorial is destroyed, Ratak is eaten by his own rats, Mm -hmm. Killraven and the Free Men escape, while uh we see the high Overlord like pulls himself out of the uh debris of the Lincoln Memorial and uh has to now report his failure.
1: Yeah, oh uh, uh, yeah, the the actual statue of Lincoln crushes uh crushes the Braxis in the in the fight, which is awesome. And yes. fitting.
0: Yes. Because they had turned the Lincoln Memorial into a uh, slave auction.
1: All right, so yeah, so High Overlord's, you know, got to dig his way out, and as they're walking away, you can see the Killraven was here, is marked on some of the rubble, and, and then it, it turns us back over to the High Overlord standing in front of this, I, I don't know, I guess, what would you call it, a tribunal, or like a committee of Martians?
0: They, well, they refer to themselves as the Forum.
1: Ah, it's a forum. There you go.
0: And again, this this last we're, we only have this like one page left here, and so we see there's multiple Martians. We only saw three uh in the previous pages, but now we see one, two, three, four, five, six. So there's a whole forum here that he is uh, having to report this information to. Like you said, he has to make an accounting of how Killraven escaped, where he had this great propaganda coup, this great way to um, destroy humans' morale. And Killraven not only escaped, but humiliated them over the muralphonic system. Right. Here on page 31, the High Overlord relates to the forum that he has maintained surveillance on Killraven since he escaped Washington, D.C., that they know that the way that he escaped and has been able to cover so much ground is that Mint Julep gave the Freeman Dynagliders. High Overlord has been unable to locate Mint Julep, but they have uh, fought several skirmishes with her free women. So I think mm-hmm. I, I think they specifically mentioned that they were unable to locate her, so if she if they wanted to have her run into kill Raven later, it would make sense.
1: Right. Yeah, like maybe she was looking
0: for him or something or
1: whatever. But uh, yeah, he's he's the High Overlord definitely goes on to uh, maintain that Mint Julep is in fact kind of inconsequential to this. It is Killraven and the impact he has made on the remaining people of the human race that is important, and how he has managed to locate their facilities and make a nuisance of himself time and time again.
0: I really like just the awkward phrasing, that Killraven, that his image is on the human consciousness.
1: I know, it's so bad. (laughs) But maybe it's purposely bad to give you, the you know, kind of the... Viewpoint that this is, you know, it's a Martian that's completely alien to how we speak.
0: I like that—that that there's an otherness to the Martians. It's not like in like a lot of science fiction where you see like, oh, we'll slap a, a funky nose on the aliens, but they have the same motivations as humans do. The uh, the Martians, the way they phrase things, the way they think about things, the way they process things is very very alien. Yeah. So, and we get to we get to learn some cool stuff here that the High Overlord, he's deduced that Killraven has some sort of powers that's, like, helping him along, that's how he keeps uh, finding all these different Martian operations, that he's mm-hmm. got Scar on Killraven's trail, but that... If Scar's unable to subdue Killraven, that the High Overlord personally will be waiting for Killraven at Yellowstone with his brother Deathraven.
1: <laughs> Deathraven,
0: That's so <laughs> awesome.
1: I swear, he better have like some like really like pointed freaking platform boots, and he has to do something, and like flames have to shoot out of various orifices on his body armor.
0: I'm hoping for some more spikes
1: and more spikes.
0: The uh, the last panel here is actually pretty cool that as the high overlord is leaving he's using his non-memory memory power to to think about Mars but how right. as he's his, as he's thinking about Mars his recollections they shift and all he he, he can see is like Kill Raven's face and specifically his eyes are everywhere <laughs> that Kill Raven's face intrudes on his remem- memories of Mars and his eyes are everywhere
1: so that's, he's got a man crush going on, I don't know.
0: High Overlord has always acted very arrogant in the previous issues we saw, and that he lorded how the Martians aren't emotional. They don't have, they're not ruled by their petty emotions. And we just see how disconcerted he is by Killraven and how Killraven's success after success it's starting to unnerve him. I thought that was pretty neat.
1: Yeah, yeah, it definitely added a uh for lack of a better word, a humanizing element to him.
0: Yes, he's definitely a bit scarred by his interaction with Killraven. We see that... I don't want to say there's been a loss of status in Martian society, but like you said, he's been called to account for his failure with the Killraven's execution, and that we see that Killraven has left that lasting impression on him.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's definitely uh, what they're conveying and what they're displaying. So... Yeah, that leaves us off there and, uh, you know, hoping that we'll uh, we'll see something new, a full new episode next uh, time.
0: I am willing to spoil this. We finally, third time's the charm, we finally do get the next issue is The Day the Monument Shattered. Woohoo!
1: Been waiting for that one for a while. Yes. <laughs> awesome, dude.
0: So, we didn't spend nearly as much time this issue as we do cover uh normally do covering an issue because we only had a few pages of new uh new content. So, we thought this would be a good opportunity to maybe talk to you guys our multitude of fans out there, just kind of a state of the podcast, how we see it and where we want to go with it.
1: Right. Um I I have to say um you know, with you going to the C2E2 uh last week or so, I I think and I, and I scoured the internet looking for any evidence of you being there, but I think you need a photobomb more cosplayers while you're there.
0: I guess I kind of kept a low profile. What I normally do when I go to cons is I talk to a lot of the, the the comic book creators, so I don't. I usually give the cosplayers a wide berth.
1: Understandable. I mean, I can understand that. But you, I'm not saying you have to approach them. I'm just saying we, we need to see a Markhead popping up in the wee distance, <laughs> in the background of some of these cosplayer pictures.
0: I'm I'm sure that if there as as more pictures uh, come out, you'll see. If you look close enough, you'll see me in the background.
1: I have looked through so many pictures, dude. And the problem is, okay, here's the problem. Because I could have sworn I've seen you in some of these pictures, but you're wearing basically. I'm I'm gonna assume this. I'm gonna assume you're wearing standard con attire which is going to be you were dressed in all black and you had a backpack on. Yes. Okay, how many blonde guys of about average height do you think were running around with a fucking backpack on dressed in all black at this con? A lot. Exactly. So while I saw like a a bunch of these people, I'm like, that could be Mark. That could be Mark. That might be Mark. That's not Mark.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I had a great time. At C2E2. I It was one of those things when I first got there, you're, you're looking around at all the cosplayers and it's just, it's noisy, it's loud, there's just so many people there. I had this moment like, yeah, what am I doing here? Because I'm like a weird individual where it's just, you, you, you see, I see all these people like 10 years younger than me in costume and I'm like, yeah, what am I doing here? But then I just... <laughs> That's just kind of how I process things, but man, I, I have to say that's probably the most fun I've ever had a con- at a con. I had a really good time.
1: Yeah, everything everything I've seen about it um, looks like it was a good uh, a good fun kind of middle to large scale con.
0: It's the biggest one that I've gone to. It was my third time going to C two E two, and I'm hoping to get to eventually get to uh, New York Comic Con. But for like the Midwest cons, I believe it's the biggest. And it's just yeah, it's it's quite quite large.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think from from what I've seen of
0: various cons around the country, because
1: uh, you and I both know a lot of people around around the states, it looks like it was slightly smaller scale than the uh, Emerald City Comic Con, I think that's hosted in uh, around Seattle, Washington or Portland somewhere.
0: Yeah, I believe it's Seattle.
1: I think it's Seattle, and I've I've had a couple of buddies uh, invite me to that to that one because they've worked it before. But um it looks like it was slightly smaller than that. But I mean only slightly. And I think the Emerald City Con is probably one of the bigger ones, but it's nowhere it's not on the scale of New York City or the San Diego
0: one. Yeah, I mean those are just massive.
1: Yeah, those are those are freaking beyond huge.
0: What I really like this year I thought I had bought more comics than I had when I started to tally them up. But I know like the the last year I went there, I hardly bought any uh creator owned like indie comics and it kind of turned me off because it seemed like when i went in 2016 almost every indie book that was pitched to me was some variation of the like there's a secret war between angels and demons or it turns out like the the angels are the bad guys and the demons are the good guys and it's just both me and my wife were militant atheists And it's just, I get so sick of all the angel and demon imagery that you just see in American society. I don't mind when that shit, like, creeps into, like, fiction, but it has to be something that's done with an original flair. And it was just, like, for whatever reason the last few years that has been such a big thing in pop culture. I'm just so sick of it.
1: There was a series of books. Uh, You know, not comic books, like, regular written word books that was written, and I've got to figure out what it was. And, and I read probably the first two out of the series a couple years ago. My niece had introduced me to it after I had introduced her to Doctor Who. Yeah. And uh, it it started out good, but then it turned into, like, almost teen, freaking Twilight-esque, kind of freaking longing, gasping, looking at each other bullshit. But it, it, the premise was basically there are demons and there are angels or... Not angels. There are demons, and then there are those that have a bloodline that is derived from angels that combat them, kind of like a a mystical police force, if you would. And uh, oh, it, you know, you know, it reminded me. It reminded me of a uh, kind of the uh, the the sorcerers from uh, the Doctor Strange kind of deal. Okay you know, you've got these people that are aware of the mystical arts and can do things that are unexplained by science, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that are defending from a threat from beyond the, the regular world. It's a supernatural threat. And they defend against this without letting any of the normal people or, as, you know, in Harry Potter speak, the muggles be aware of this thing. So, yeah. And, and I think with that, with the rise of that, it kind of reached out and started influencing some of the uh, comic book genre. Because I think this was like three or four years ago, maybe a little bit more.
0: I no, I blame I uh, the show Supernatural for it, too.
1: Yeah, but Supernatural's been running for a
0: long time.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, Supernatural, I think it's on, I almost want to say it's on its 10th season or more now.
0: I, I think you're right. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I I haven't followed the show in a long time, but I know, dude. I remember watching
0: episodes of that
1: show back when I lived in that little duplex apartment.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's two thousand three, two thousand four.
1: Yeah, so I think they've been they've been running for a
0: long time.
1: I mean, yeah, it, it surges in popularity here and there. I don't know if that would uh, attribute the that whole mythos of angels and demons and one being good guys and one being not.
0: I mean, it's never, it's not like that's like an original concept, but it no. just seems like one of those things that it's just, it's been super popular like the last couple of years. And it's just, I'm, I'm not saying that it's, I would never read anything with that stuff in it. It's just, cause I, I, I there's a couple fictional properties that I do enjoy that have variations of those themes, but it's just, it's so just played out. You have to do something really creative with it for it to, to, to get my attention and I can just remember in 2016, just in like a 20 minute period, like three people pitching me books about like angels and demons. And it's just, there's nothing you could say that's going to turn me off quicker than what you yeah. guys are pitching me right now.
1: Yeah, kind of like the whole, uh, the uh, the vampire uptick after Twilight.
0: And zombies, yeah. Yeah,
1: what was the zombie uptick caused by? Was it twenty Days Later?
0: It's it's hard to tell cuz I don't like walking dead the comics was around for for several years before the show. It's hard to tell if that was just a symptom or if that's really what maybe caused the yeah. the zombie thing to be done to death. But yeah, it's just for me it just it it just for independent comics it just seems there's so many people who were just yeah, and you could tell they thought like this was a really creative concept and it's just there's of the independent people here must be doing the same concept you are. This is just not of interest (laughs) to me. Which it's kind of funny because I looked at the books that I picked up and a couple of them, there seemed to be uh, a theme that was through a few of them. But uh, I don't know. I I, I had a really good time. It felt like there was more, uh, a lot more independent uh, creators there that had books I was interested in than I've seen like the last several years. So I was really excited. Cool.
1: Cool. That's awesome.
0: What uh really got me excited uh, before I got to the convention was there's an independent publisher that I've seen at several cons now, Big Dog Inc., and they had made a deal with Aspen Comics I think maybe like a year and a half or two years ago, and then it's like they dropped off the face of the earth. I actually thought they had gone under at one point, but they weren't producing their most popular comics, New like new issues weren't coming out, and when I saw that they were going to be at the show. We have a we have a mutual friend Schneider. He's really into them too and when I told him they were going to be there, he like didn't believe it at first and he got really excited. Uh so I actually got to sit there and talk to them for a few minutes and see what was going on like why they hadn't been putting out new books and he said they'd been working on newer projects but Of the two books that I was a big fan of, they don't have anything new yet, but the one that Schneider's a big fan of, they had a new issue out, and I picked that up for him. He was really excited. Cool. I'm not a huge steampunk fan, like, doesn't really interest me, but there's a book series that, for whatever reason, I just love the shit out of. It's called Lady Mechanica, and I remember I went to... Disney, January of 2016, and whenever I was back in my room, I was reading the volume one on my phone. I just couldn't put it down. And there was a Lady Mechanica booth there, and I just was super pumped. And they had somebody else manning it, and she kept saying, like, oh, the writer will be back. And I just kept checking back over and over again until the, light, uh, the writer came back. And <laughs> I just – I don't want to say I, like, fanboyed out, but I was, like, really excited because I just – for whatever reason, I really love Lady Mechanica. A couple times in the last year and a half, the stuff has gone on sale on Comixology. It's good enough you shouldn't wait for a sale, but, I mean, if if you want something really good to read, just pick up. Wait for the uh, Comixology sale. Pick up a volume one of Lady Mechanica. It's really good. It's really interesting stuff. A lot of times you see the artwork isn't as good on independent stuff. You know, they don't have, like, the... It's usually a creator doing the artwork themselves, or, you know, they're getting somebody who's trying to break in. I've really loved the artwork on Lady Mechanica the, in the first volume. I'm working my way through volume two now, and I picked up three at the show. I, I can't say enough good shit about Lady Mechanica. If you're looking for stuff that you haven't seen in, in the mainstream comic books pick up Lady Mechanica, I thought it was I I love it, and I was super pumped to see she was at the show uh, I had another uh, interaction like that, I picked up uh, another podcast had uh, said some nice things about a book called They Came From Planet Earth so I picked it up on Comixology it's out from Insane Comics and when I was walking the show floor I saw a big poster from it They Came From Planet Earth so I immediately stopped and I started to question the guy because I'm like man, his, uh, do you have issue two? I've been waiting quite a long time for issue two. And he's like, it just came out, man. And I'm like, I'm super excited. It was the creator's brother. And so like I introduced myself. And when I told him I was from a podcast and how I like to, to plug creator's work on the show, he got really excited. So when his brother came back, he's like, you have got to meet this guy, Mark. Like he's he's got a podcast. He loves to talk <laughs> about comics. And when he saw the sign, uh, for they came from planet earth he immediately stopped and came up to talk to me really big fan so I was super excited that there was a second issue but if you like science fiction stuff they came from planet earth is really good the plot of it is that there's like a, we discover that there's like an artificial stable wormhole in the moon and we send like a, an exploratory craft through and it crash lands and it, it it almost reminds me of planet of the apes like the original one the crew they crash land on this planet but instead of like hyper evolved apes they're insects like you see they have these domesticated giant tarantulas and oh wow it's the charlton heston character to, it's a woman she's she gets sucked out of the craft before it crashes so she's at like a uh, she doesn't get captured with the rest of the crew and it's her t- kind of trying to figure out like where this wormhole came from. And there wasn't supposed to be this planet on the other side. So it's like they're trapped on this bizarre, crazy insectoid world. And it's just, it's hard to describe, but it's super cool. Just the, the sci-fi aspect of it. And just to see this insectoid, like hostile race, so if you like that, if you like heart, uh, science fiction, I would recommend that. The guy also recommended another book to me by the same comics group, Insane Comics. It's called Oblivious. Uh, it's about there's this huge superhero battle and well, the Statue of Liberty is destroyed and this guy, you can tell he's like a super-powered individual from his costume and he uses powers. He wakes up in the debris with no memory of who he is. Like he It turns out he's the world's Like worst supervillain, but not only does he not remember that, but he's horrified by the thought of some of the 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 evil stuff that people are saying that he's doing. So, where the rest of the world thinks he was killed, this other hero was killed by him, but it was worth. They're like, at least this our worst supervillain is finally out of the way. He's still alive, but he doesn't know who he is. So it looks like. I, I can't wait to see where the series goes. This is definitely when I'm going to pick up further issues where it look, I think there's going to be a redemption arc with him. And I'm always a sucker for uh, that redemption story arc.
1: Yeah, aren't we all?
0: <laughs> only got a couple more books to, uh, to cover here. The first book I picked up there, it's called secret and shadows. It's um basically the super villain tried to destroy a city several years ago. Uh, He was stopped by their main hero. I'm not entirely sure where this one is going to go yet. That hero has two sons, one who has superpowers, one who doesn't. We see there's this new villain in town, and it looks like he's... The heroes in town look like they're... I don't want to use the word corrupt, but it definitely looks like they're not fully on the up and up. And this new villain, it looks like he's there to, to kind of punish them and to exact revenge. I can't wait to see where that goes. That actually leads me to another book I picked up with a similar premise there. Well, I I saw it there, I ended up buying it on Comicsology. It's a Xenoscope book called Evil Heroes. And it's basically it has all these characters who are like the equivalent they're like the Justice the non-copyright equivalent of the Justice League. And we see that a lot <laughs> in books where you'll see these analogues of popular of heroes. But it's these heroes are totally evil. And they are just destroying, like, just this, this, they're just laying this path of destruction left and right through the planet Earth. And you see, like, there's this government lab in Nevada, and you're not seeing exactly how it ties together, but it was very fun to see, like, the Justice League just, 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 just wreak anarchy across the planet.
1: Nice. I, uh,
0: can't wait to, it looks like it's a six uh, issue series by Zenoscope called Evil Heroes. I can't wait to see where that goes. Uh, The other series, I'm not sure if I said the name, it's called Secret and Shadows. But yeah, the Zenosco- like The Secret and Shadows is in black and white, and sometimes I had some difficulty making out what was going on with the artwork. The Evil Heroes is a beautiful book. Xenoscope always makes beautiful books. The last book I bought, it's actually kind of funny. I didn't realize until they cashed me out that it was a $12 book, and at that point it was too late for me to say, like, ah! I didn't realize it was $12. It's called Wrong Way... It's about a, this guy, it looks like he's a cartoonist, and it's just like, he bails on his family on Christmas Eve, like he goes to his parents' house with his wife, and he sees a news report, it takes place in 2011, about Occupy Wall Street, and he sees this girl he used to, to date, and it's just like he kind of walks out on his life to pursue the... It, I think it's she was kind of the girl who got away. The artwork on it, it's very... I don't want to say it's manga esque, but it's definitely something that it's. This is much more of like a slice of life comic. I like the idea of this guy kind of just walking out on his life and trying to recapture something. As we get older, I think there's part of us who always kind of thinks of like just about that idea of running away from our responsibilities and recapturing that part of our youth.
1: It's not <laughs> yeah. something
0: I'm. I'm necessarily sure I'm going to pick up the next issue of. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not my. This, it's not in my wheelhouse. But Wrong Way, if you like those Slice of Life comics, it's very, it's called, it's called Wrong Way, an American Punk Story. It's actually, it's a good book. It's very kinetic. It's just, like I said, it's not normally my thing. Okay. Uh, so those are the books I picked up.
1: Yep, Wrong Way sounds good.
0: Yeah, like I said, if you're into that Slice of Life stuff, it's not normally my my, my wheelhouse, but it's, if you're into it, it's really good. I sat in on a panel while I was there, and, uh, yeah, I try. Usually, I try to sit on several panels. There was a lot of stuff that they were filled up pretty quickly, and sometimes you just don't want to sit for a while, like waiting for a new panel to start. But the one that I absolutely wanted to uh, sit in on, and that I didn't have a conflict on, it was really about like the future of comic books. And they had some creators there, like from Boom Studios. But a lot of the panel was made up from a Diamond distribution company for comic books. And I was really disappointed they didn't have a QA. and a The guy, I was able to, they kind of ushered us out of the room. I was able to talk to the guy one-on-one, but because I, I didn't agree with some of his conclusions, but they were talking about how they were really excited for the future of the comic book industry, and they thought that the brick-and-mortars were here to stay. And it's just, I don't know where they were, like, where are you getting the data to draw this conclusion from, where, where every other brick-and-mortar retailer... Is going away, and they're like, "But yeah, you know, you have like the brick and mortars attending these cons, getting you know this up to date information. Anybody can get that by logging onto the internet." I just, I think that because that's my big issue with the comic book industry is that the distribution model hasn't changed since the '90s. So for these distributor, like this, the because the, the the Diamond Distributor is like the biggest distributor of, of comic books. Uh, of paper comic books, for them to say everything's great, the industry has survived for how many decades it's going to continue to, this just didn't seem like very good reasoning. And I think that's the thing that's kind of choking co- the comic book industry, and that's what's slowly like leading to its decline right now, is that digital comic books, you don't see a lot of variation on the pricing from digital to non-digital. So if I want to get a paper copy of a Marvel book, it's four bucks. If I want the same digital copy, it's four bucks. But then if I wait six months, I can read it on their Marvel Unlimited. And the reason I've I I have heard that a lot of the comic book companies are chained to having the same price for uh a the digital copy as a paper copy, it's because of their their paper distribution deal. You're not going to have younger readers come in and buy comic books at four bucks a pop, when instead they can save up, you know, instead of buying four or five comic books, they can buy Call of Duty and get 200 hours out of that. Right. And so I tried to get a dialogue going with him, but they had another panel coming in, and they ushered us kind of out of the room. But that was one as a... We're part of the feel. I mean, we're not a comic book creator, but you and me, we're commentators. You know, we're producing product, discussing these things. I thought it was an me doing my due diligence trying to report on that, trying to get that information of where they thought things were going. And they definitely painted a rosy picture of the future of comic books that I don't necessarily believe. Because, again, they're like, well, look at all the movies are out. It's getting more attention. More people are interested than ever before. That's right, it's the...
1: more mainstream these days.
0: Yes, that's the trend now, but is that going to be the trend in 15 years or in 20 years? I think that's just that's too optimistic to think, Oh, they're popular now. They're always going to be popular. Right. But yeah, the con was really great. I got to meet a lot of good people. I sat in on a fun panel. I've monopolized the last 20 minutes. So I will uh, pass the mic to you.
1: Uh, hmm. (laughs) Comic book-wise, I I, I really haven't done much this week. (laughs) To be honest with you. Uh, Most uh, I've gotten out of... uh... That genre of uh, fun is... What did I watch with my kids? Mm. Oh, no, I, I, I watched... Nope, that wasn't even comic book, really. I watched The Assassin's Bodyguard. The Hitman's Bodyguard. Okay. And the only reason why I, I, it, was, I, it, it rang a comic book bell in my head was because it starred right on Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson, also known as uh, uh, Deadpool and uh, Nick Fury.
0: Uh, how was the movie?
1: You know... If I didn't know how coarse the language was going to be, I might not
0: uh, let my 10-year-old watch it with me. That's always awkward when you go into a movie with, say, a kid. Or if you're, like for me, if I'm watching a movie, say, with my, uh, my you know, 70-something-year-old mother, and it has sexual content that you didn't realize it has.
1: Oh, yeah, it, it was just, there, there wasn't even any sexual content. Uh, Okay, there was a little bit with Salma Hayek, which was awesome. But it's got Samuel L. Jackson, and it's not a Disney property. So he was just saying, fuck everything.
0: Yeah, that's always a little awkward with your kids.
1: And then Salma Hayek, for the first time I've ever seen her, really just fucking cut loose with the language, or at least be written to cut loose with the language. She was saying, fuck everything. And she was not only saying, fuck everything in English, she was doing it bilingually awesome but uh and my my 10 year olds and i have a very free relationship when it comes to uh a lot of things as far as what would normally be considered taboo by most other parents so i i know they curse i mean shit i was their age once i was cursing long before i was fucking 10 years old yeah but uh, yeah, and I try not to not to be the naive parent about that. I just try to explain to them that there's a time and place for all this stuff. But uh, yeah, that place that that movie used a lot of four letter words, uh, like I do at work, and I work construction, so I I use I use fuck as a punctuation mark, not as like a, you know a main supporting freaking character in a sentence. Fuck is just like you know like a metaphor. Uh, it's a modifier. Yeah that's how this movie treated it. And I'm just like, my wife walks in and she's just like, it's a pretty rough language. I'm like, eh, they're good.
0: (laughs) You said you hadn't done a lot comic-related lately. I can definitely relate to that. I had taken a bit of a hiatus from uh, comic reading for a few weeks. So actually, it's been several months since I read a Marvel comic not related to the podcast. And going to C2E2 definitely kind of rejuvenated me and uh on that i've put more i've made more of a more time in my schedule like i read a couple moon nights which i let stack up this week so it's good i've kind of had a return return and also uh, it's it was really nice going to c2e2 it just i got there because of the the podcast and to get some sort of feedback or just to get some sort of uh just that chance because of the the podcast felt really good. I had mentioned that we had released episode 12 today and we've gotten a lot of hits on it. I've gotten some feedback on Twitter. So that has felt really good with that in mind. Uh, we wanted to talk to you guys, the listener about the podcast and some changes that I don't want to say some changes, but, uh, some things that were, uh, we're excited about and some things that, uh, hopefully will materialize in the near future
1: some additions if you would
0: yeah if there's fans of a uh, kill Raven out there then you guys will know that the series didn't last very long there's only 39 mm-hmm. issues oh the amazing adventure with kill Raven only goes to issue 39 right so we're almost through the we're mostly through the run of kill Raven and we mentioned in our very first episode a bunch of different series uh, comic series that we were hoping to cover and we had a few choices that we thought were going to be our next uh, comics covered. Cruz and I have talked about it and what we think we're going to do once Kill Raven is over is we're going to simultaneously cover the 1980 Star Trek the motion picture Marvel comic and the uh, 1970s Get Marvel Godzilla run. We are going to do one issue, one episode, and then uh, from one series, and then do the other series the next uh, episode, and we're going to alternate them.
1: Right. So hopefully that'll that'll keep things a little fresher, and yeah, uh, you know, that'll that'll give us two different storylines to keep track of, which will kind of diversify things a little bit,
0: especially when we did this when we first started uh talked about doing this i thought we were going to cover two episodes of kill raven per episode and i thought we might do weekly episodes so i thought we were only it was only take us a couple months to get through kill raven i i like the way that we're covering it but i definitely I, I thought there was going to be more variety when we did this. So I love covering the kill raven and I love the format that we've gone into, but like you said, I definitely like the idea of doing alternating so we can kept think, keep things a little fresher.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think we both uh, came to the conclusion that trying to cover uh, two issues per episode was a bit daunting of a task, and it kind of took up a way too much time to
0: do that. I know a lot of other podcasts, comic podcasts, if you listen to how they, they do things, they mo- I think most podcasts would only probably spend maybe 30 minutes per issue, and it would make sense to do it. If we really disciplined ourselves, I think that we could get to that point. I don't want to do that.
1: No, we're too freewheeling. I, I, I enjoy the fact that we can go down a rabbit hole and, and chase a tangent as far as we do sometimes, and we'll rein ourselves in. And sometimes we'll we'll keep each other on task, but uh, the, the detours I think are what make
0: the show it I think it makes it fun to listen to, and for us, I think it's what makes it fun to do. It's yeah, if we tried to make it to just had to stay on point, have to keep moving to discipline like that, I don't think it would be nearly as fun for us or nearly as fun for you to listen to, so yeah, I would rather go slower but have more fun along the way.
1: exactly. Enjoy
0: the journey. Uh, along those lines, I, I had a vision when I uh, when we first started this podcast about it was going to be, the core of it was going to be uh, Cruz and me, or Cruz and I. I think that, or, uh, I, I thought it would be fun to occasionally throw a guest into the mix. I wanted to have a good body of episodes under us before I started that, down that road, which I think we have now. So, I've already approached a few people along those lines. I know there's a couple creators, and I think I've mentioned this in a past episode, who had given me a favorable reaction about, or a favorable answer, they said, about coming on in the future to discuss their projects. So, I would love to do that. We would sit down with them and do a brief interview. We've also talked about the possibility, and again, I've, I've, I've already re- uh, started reaching out, about maybe having people from other podcasts coming on and covering books with us.
1: <laughs> that would be awesome.
0: So I'm I'm excited about that. I have not heard necessarily responses back, but I just want you guys to know, it's pro- it's not going to be like next episode, but you might come on or come in and uh, have uh, different people besides just Cruz and I on, and I think that will be exciting.
1: Right, and there's always yeah, the backup plan, which is... Uh have mrs mark and mrs cruz come on
0: i man i have floated that idea with mrs mark she has no interest in doing that
1: What <laughs> what what if what if mrs cruz jumps on too
0: uh i don't think that's going to sway her i think it would be cool to have mrs cruz on i'm all about that i think that will make things really fun
1: <laughs> uh for you maybe <laughs>
0: But your discomfort is what's going to make it fun.
1: Uh, I know, I know. And you know what? I I I would lay down my comfort on the sacrificial altar of the show, if that's what it takes.
0: I know we're going to be out there again... uh I should clarify when I say us. I mean, my wife and I, we visited uh, the cruises in California back in December. We're going to be out there next month. If there was ever going to be a time to try to crowbar that in, I could bring... Well, you have mics. Yeah, we could just do... Uh,
1: I I have one mic. Yeah, I would... we we could do a round robin.
0: Yes, and just see if we could maybe interest them in that.
1: Oh, that would be funny. Uh, you know what we should do? We should record us playing the like, uh Cards Against the Humanity.
0: I've thought about that. I'm glad that you brought that up. We could try... I wasn't sure how the logistics of that would work, but we might be able to figure something out. Something... Because I know that'd be a lot of fun for us. I'm wondering how, if we could do something that would be fun for the listener. Also, if we got a lot of listener response, I know other podcasts who, like, take a game like Jackbox or, uh, like, Use Your Words... They'll, like, live stream it, and then they'll have listeners, like, sign in, and so we would be able to play a game through Twitch with our listeners. And oh, I would...
1: Yeah, that, yeah, that would work.
0: I would definitely be amenable to that, but we would need, uh... We would definitely need to get responses from you, the listener, uh, that you would be interested in that.
1: Right, right.
0: I also... We've been talking about what would be a fun, uh, occasional episode to break format. Would be... Cruz and I each choosing a comic without, a comic and reading it without the other person knowing what it is. And instead of us talking about, say, Kill Raven or Star Trek or Godzilla, each of us would present a comic book for, say, you know, twenty minutes or so while the other person asked questions, and uh, we would kind of present it to the other person and then give our review.
1: Yeah, that that definitely sounds fun. Definitely seems uh, it, it sounds like something that would inspire me to go to the local comic and dig through some of the back bins see what I can find
0: yeah, I've picked up a lot of like eclectic weird Marvel comics over the years uh, that I haven't had the chance to dive into so I would love to do that for the show and again it, uh, for listeners if you guys have some weird stuff because so, Marvel in the 70s published so much bizarre stuff if you guys have something really weird that you think we'd be interested in that mm-hmm. you have in your collection send us your review and we'll read it on the air
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So there's that. Um, Oh, I I would like to let you and uh, Mrs. uh, Mark know that uh, Mrs. Cruz and I have held to our side of the previous deal from when you were out here earlier in the year. We have not went to Pyology without you. And there is one that's opened up 30 minutes away from my house.
0: Cool. (laughs) So that will be a lot of fun. Yes. Something else, I guess, that I or that I want to mention with the podcast is we've had a couple episodes come out pretty late. I've learned a lot about the editing process. We've had some technical issues. Like we both I think were ready to punch Google Drive in the face over oh,
1: Just driving me nuts, man.
0: So we've we've gotten that kind of figured out. Um, I've, we've, I've changed the way that I edited the show, and when I made that switch over, it took me three times longer to edit. So I'm back into a good place with that. So I'm putting this out on the air to show my commitment to it. We just put out episode 12 on Saturday. I'm trying, I'm gonna go back to the, uh, every two weeks, and I wanna try to choose, I think it's gonna be Wednesday or Thursday, a specific day of the week, and now I'm, trying to front-load a lot of the editing work, because we I have 13 ready to go editing... Like, I have to... Oh, it has to go through the editing process, and now 14. I'm going to just buckle down and try to get those done as soon as possible. That way, I have an episode in the can. So if there is an emergency, or something happens, it won't affect the release schedule. So by the time this episode airs, it will be about a month from now, you guys will have... You'll be able to see... If I've lived up to my commitment on this or not, and you can call me on it,
1: I'm sure you'll live up to your commitment
0: well i yeah, it's I think we've always had the desire to, but it neither one of neither one of us are broadcasters. I know like a lot of people who've gone into podcasting had a background in production or editing or broadcasting before they started. We were just two guys who like to talk about nerdy stuff, so there's been a lot of discovery along the way.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: So I I I am hoping there are people who are so excited about our podcast that when they see it pops up in their feed, they uh they get like super excited and happy about it. I know when I have those podcasts that are late or don't release regularly, it can be annoying. So I want to get into that regular routine and hopefully that will help us build listeners.
1: Right, yeah. I definitely think having a regular release schedule that our listeners can count on is important in keeping our uh, how would you say it listenership up yeah yes
0: I think that's exactly how you'd say it quite professional
1: listenership I just made that up
0: no i've I've heard other podcasts use that same <laughs> expression
1: <laughs> so yeah but um i I'm editing is not easy
0: audacity is a great piece of software and it's just it's Again, we for a while we were using a, a bit of software in conjunction with that where it would record both of our our audio at the same time. So it would just it would record our conversation. Audacity doesn't do that. It's I record my audio, Cruz records his, and then I will splice them back together. and sometimes we've had issues where it gets out of sync and so that I have to like reconstruct the episode, which isn't that. When I was first learning how to do it, it was very time intensive. I've, like any skill, I've gotten a little bit better at, so I'm hoping to have that better turnaround. Again, we we hit this every show. We want to create a very collaborative product here. We want fans to feel a part of this. So we want to know what you guys think. We want to know about your ideas. We want to know about your suggestions. We want to know what you guys are reading. We want to know if you've read Kill Raven, what your reaction was to that issue.
1: Yes, please. Let us know. You know join the loop. Uh, communicate with us. We are more than willing to respond back. And, uh, you know, we'd definitely like to see a little more involvement from the listeners. We know you're out there. We know you're out there. Like I said, we <laughs>
0: I don't think we've had an episode downloaded as fast as episode 12, so I know that there's people out there who are reading it uh, or downloading it and sharing it with other people. Uh, we appreciate it when you do. Again, if you could leave us a review on iTunes. If there's something that you think we could do better, send us an email and let us know. Comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com
1: mm-hmm. That would be great. What else? Are we are we doing our plugs? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, doing our plugs. So comic book dungeon at Gmail. Comic- blah blah blah, 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 blah. <laughs> 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 Anyways, he yeah, marking the email. Uh, if not, you can find us at uh, you can DM us at comic book podcast at Instagram dot com.
0: I'm on Twitter, broken LMD, which stands for Life Model Decoy. So, broken LMD. If you send me a message, I will get back to you.
1: All right, and uh, I guess that's a wrap, huh?
0: Yeah, I think we covered everything we set out to.
1: Yeah, yeah, everything's been covered fairly succinctly. So, uh, you know, as I like to say, keep turning them pages.
0: And yeah, if we're ever late or don't make a deadline for this podcast, rest assured, we just won't have an issue, or we'll have that canned issue. Or episode. What I definitely won't do is just splice together uh, dialogue from two previous issues or episodes, and then call <laughs> that a finished product. Good night, everybody.
1: Good night. <laughs> uh, I knew you were gonna pull that shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there wasn't anything else to really say from this this issue.
1: I know, I know, I know, I know. You know what you should do, like next uh, next show you should just freaking like like splice in five minutes or something for one of the previous <laughs> ones
0: that would be <laughs> pretty start, funny
1: just start with a cold open of that and that one we'll just fucking roll from the <laughs> so much let down as I am disappointed.